Hi, friends. So, it's been a while. So sorry that um, we haven't had one of these conversations in a while, but that's my fault, and I'm taking responsibility for that fully since I just finished my first year of medical school and had lots of finals. So, um, Susie and Annie thankfully waited for me to finish this book. Um, hey, what's your name? Oh, I'm Shannon, by the way. <laughs> a few weeks. A few weeks. So much for later. Shannon doing the um, intro. Yep, you know. It's going well. <laughs> it's going really well. Um, but yeah, so thank you uh, for joining us again. We're going to be discussing the book The Sirens of Titan today by Kurt Vonnegut. And I'm super excited to delve in once again to the genre of science fiction. How's it going? How's it going, girls? Good. I'm peachy keen. <laughs> wow. What's been going on? Well, I'm still pregnant. Not for long. <laughs> yeah, maybe the next time we record, I will not be pregnant. Whoa. That's weird to think about. But yeah, I'm currently recording sitting on a birthing ball, or a birth ball, I don't know what they're called, but an exercise ball. So if you hear weird noises, it's probably me just running into things. <laughs> I'm just happy it's summer. Mm-hmm. I'm growing my first garden ever. Only two things have died. I count mm-hmm. that as a huge win. That's a huge win in my book. <laughs> what are you growing? I'm growing flowers. Um, so I wanted to have things that were easier. Maybe veggies are easier. I am a clueless gardener, so I'm growing <laughs> petunias, um, begonias, and marigolds. Ooh, pretty. Yeah, they smell really good. Mm. For some reason, when you said gardener, I really imagined, like, carrots and, like, peas and I don't know what yeah. else. Cucumbers, well, tomatoes. Well, a flower garden is still a garden. I it's know. It's just not as edible. <laughs> I, I don't know why, just immediately thought food have i told you about mason's microgreens Mm-mm. no so we have a small hydroponic garden in our basement and by hydroponic if you don't know it just means growing things without soil so we have these he bought these little tupperware containers and some window screen and he put the window screen on top of the tupperware things put some seeds on the window screen because it'll hold it up and he filled it with water, and now we're growing microgreens. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty nifty. Do you use them to cook? Yeah, so we, we've been using them. We'll eat them as salads, or we'll use them as a garnish, or we'll just, we'll just eat them. They're very good. Cool. Yeah. He brought these, he bought these, like, bright pink growth lights, though, so our basement looks like it's bright pink. <laughs> It's a little crazy. (laughs) It's kind of funny. It's nice that you don't have to water them ever because they're just Mm -hmm. sitting in water. Yeah, you basically just let them do their thing until they're ready to harvest. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's my gardening story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like some of my flowers have doubled in size and others are shrinking and two have been eaten. That's the parts that have dead. Like that are dead. So it's kind of funny because one of the begonias, like the stem still exists, but all the leaves and all the flowers are gone and there's like little bite marks on them but the stem is still green and like growing so 
also, I think my summer miracle would be if that flower bloomed again. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. It's a summer miracle. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> me with my humble apartment, since both of you have houses, um, I actually do have a small garden. It's not actually of my doing. My mother surprised me when I was taking a final, <laughs> and she came and put flowers in my planter boxes that I had hung up Aww. that I haven't really put anything since in the fall. Um, yeah, and they look really pretty, but can I just say, it's so frustrating having flowers in Ohio during the heat because, like, every single day I come outside and they're all wilted and I have to continuously water them. Like, like yeah. I have to do a whole canful per thing and hope for the best and like some of the flowers just don't look as beautiful as they did it's just sad it just oh, i'm watering sad. mine twice a day you should water yours twice a day or grow them hydroponically you won't <laughs> have to water anything yeah. <laughs> well and i just i also just got um i have two indoor plants so those are my outdoor ones i have two indoor plants that i just reclaimed from my mother because well one of them anyway i should say because i have this theory that like if i start to kill off a plant my mother just magically brings it back to life so I usually just like <laughs> if I think it's gonna die I just leave it with her and then it usually does well so um, oh my gosh. I just got this orchid that I had like a year ago back from her mm-hmm. so hopefully I love orchids. it does okay I actually don't know how much I'm supposed to water it I haven't watered it since she gave it back to me like two days ago I don't think you watered them that much if I know yeah, I thought they were pretty supposedly easy to maintain I hope I so because I kind of forgot about it already. My dream situation that I also am gleaning from reading Joanna Gaines magazine mm-hmm. is that I want tons of indoor plants and a whole garden and a flower garden and an herb garden. Mm-hmm. I want all, the, all, all the of the gardens. <laughs> and Patrick actually is really good at growing things and very uh, willing to weed things. Uh, oh, so nice. I think this really could go well for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think we could teamwork, have like this super awesome garden. Okay, first of all, oh man, let's uh. talk about our drinks. Do we? We all have drinks, right? Yeah, mine's almost gone. <laughs> okay, how about Shannon go first? I am drinking a Rheingeist, which is a Cincinnati Brewing Company uh, Bubbles Rose Ale, because. <clears throat> I only like fruity beers that um, taste basically just like fruit juice with some fizz. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the extent of beer I will drink. And in honor of the fact that our author is German, that's why I am drinking beer. Honestly, I, I, just, <laughs> I looked in the book for something that would be sort of reminiscent of some sort of like drink, but there wasn't really anything because like even on Ma- – we'll get to it, but like there really wasn't any drink that they really specifically – talked much about that I could find even on in in outer space they still like didn't really talk about much so this is all I could really really think of thanks to Annie for some reason I swear I read something about a specific drink towards the beginning but I don't know I it could be very wrong yeah I don't remember I don't know I'm also drinking Rheingeist what a coincidence I'm drinking uh, something. It's called a Wowie, and it's a like light Ugh. ale with pineapple and passion fruit. It's quite delightful. It's very summery. 
and I'm drinking it in my favorite cup. <laughs> Neither of those sound like beers that I would like. You wouldn't like it. No. I like dark, <laughs> dark beers. Yeah, this is like if beer met a fruit salad. So fruit juice. With but it actually... I like beer and I like fruit salad, but I don't think I would like them together. No, it tastes really good and I really like it because I don't like feeling full after drinking a beer. It's like, if you're going to drink calories, it might as well be a margarita. So this is less <laughs> calories, and it makes you feel not as full. Truth. Gotcha. Um, Annie, when can you drink again? Um, whenever this baby decides to be done. <laughs> I think she can have a certain um, amount of alcohol when she's breastfeeding, but like a small amount. Yeah. yeah, so I went to a breastfeeding class, and they said that I can have like one to two glasses of wine a day, but I have to time it right so that... The wine, the alcohol isn't metabolizing while I'm feeding my baby. <laughs> so, but then they also said that yep, like that trace amounts of yep. alcohol is fine. So, in the in breast milk. So, soon I will be able to drink things again. But today, <laughs> I am drinking Yay. lemonade. It's like a neon color, which seems like outer space. I feel like this is what I did with our hitchhikers one. I just picked a really bright color and decided that yep. looked like outer space. So today yep. we have lemonade, and I have some mint leaves in it from our CSA this week. Um, do you right. do you know what a CSA is? <laughs> Community social agriculture. Close. Community supported agriculture. I was so close. You were so close. <laughs> yes. I'm impressed. Yeah, so basically, you buy a share of a farm, and so you get. Um, some of their produce every so often. That's pretty so cool. We get one every week for, it's a full season, so it's 18 weeks, I think. But yeah, it's it's really cool. I like getting fresh vegetables and stuff, so it's fun. So we have some mint. Oh, that's awesome. Not to, like, tie that into gardening or anything. <laughs> well, that is the subtopic of this podcast. This apparently. gardening. And now we move on to space. <laughs> yes. Space gardens. Space gardens. Annie, did you say that you had some stuff about the author? Should we start about that? So, this is about Kurt Vonnegut, and it's just very brief. I don't have too much about him. So he was born in 1922. He was born to um, a German family. His great-grandparents were the first generation in America. And when they moved to America, they moved to Indianapolis, which I thought was significant because there's a part in the book that talks specifically about Indianapolis. (laughs) Um, So that's where they settled. And his German heritage was still kind of a major part in his life until World War I. <laughs> and then after the war was over, his parents decided not to teach their children the German language to show their, like, their allegiance to America. Um, so then he also fought in World War II and was captured and put to work in Dresden. Um, so his book, Slaughterhouse-Five, which is arguably mm-hmm. his most famous work, um, it kind of works through this time in his life. Um, and he was put, or he was living in a slaughterhouse when he was captured. So that's significant. Um, so when he got back, well, he got rescued and went back to America. He married his high school sweetheart and he started studying anthropology in this kind of combined 
undergrad master's program, but then he dropped out after he completed all of his undergrad work because they would not accept his master's thesis. So he decided to drop out and not get any, no credit. <laughs> what? Yeah. He, which I think that's very funny. And that sounds like kind of a stereotypical author thing to me for some yeah. reason. <laughs> Just like, I don't care what the man says. I'm going to go sell some stuff, which they do, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, towards the end of his life, his wife ended up turning to Christianity and since he was a pretty staunch atheist, they had a lot of disagreement because of that, and they ended up splitting. And then um, he died at age 84 from brain injuries from a fall that he had had. But he was pretty well-known and well-respected for his writing. So that is Kurt Vonnegut mm-hmm. in a nutshell. Yeah, my book actually says that. <laughs> Very um, nice. Sirens of Titan uh, was written in 1959 or was published, I should say, and um, he passed away in April of 2007. So he lived a fairly long amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that was one of his earlier books, too. He wrote 14 yeah. novels. Because one of my cool. friend's favorite, Cat's Cradle, wasn't until 63, so. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was my first novel by him. I assume it was your guys's as well. Yeah, it so. was. Yeah, let's do sentences. So. I can start. Go for it. From Earth to Mars to Mercury, back to Earth, and lastly to Titan, we follow Malachi Constant on his mind-boggling journey through space. I like it. It's a nice road map. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So mine is actually two sentences, so cheating a little bit, but oh well. Um... Using the science fiction genre to explore not only other worlds, but life itself, Vonnegut creates a universe that follows materialistic determinism to an unfortunate end. The book grapples with the questions of whether life has purpose and whether man can do anything about it. I dig it. Oh, thanks. In your garden? Uh, yes, I'll plant those ideas <laughs> and they shall flourish uh-huh. or be eaten by the bunnies. <laughs> it all goes okay. back to garden. <laughs> So, well, technically, I mean, we start out kind of in a sort of garden, if you think about it, because the um, wife's old estate or whatever oh, that's is super true. overgrown. So, we have a theme going. Mm, um, gardens. They're everywhere. So, my sentence is, watch as we discover Earth's future from one man trapped in the chronosynclastic infundibulum, where wars will rage, spaceships abound, and things are not what they appear. Nice. So. All right. So take it away, Shannon. Okay. Tell us so, a little bit about everything. <laughs> this book, this book, um, I feel like it had, in my mind, four distinct parts to it. Um, even though it wasn't really split up into parts, it was a chapter book, and each chapter was pretty lengthy. Um, the first part kind of sees our characters on earth and um in the i guess like their present but like um when we first meet them there's the i, I don't know what to consider him mean, he's a main character but i don't really know like what he, i don't know he's not really a protagonist like i don't really know how to classify um it's almost like the vehicle r- that the story goes through not even yeah. the narrator so, just like the eye 
the, the reader <laughs> He just kind of touches everything, but he's not, like, a villain necessarily, and he's not necessarily the protagonist either. So it's, like, interesting. His, his name is Winston Niles Rummerford, and he becomes a very important character because he decided one day, he was very wealthy and decided one day that he just was going to launch a spaceship into space with his dog and just have a good time of it. So, and that's mainly because space travel was outlawed at that point, but he decided to heck with it, I'm going to do it anyway. So he did that and got trapped in something called the chronosynclastic infundibulum, which is like, I don't really know how to describe this. It's kind of like this space-time continuum where it's basically like he's trapped in like time essentially where he can see like the past and the future simultaneously it's like really weird like it's I don't like really know how else yeah but yeah complicated. yeah <laughs> yeah um he also and like because he's reappears places or mm-hmm. what's the word materializes that's what I was gonna say because oh, of sorry. the fact that he's trapped in this no no you're fine he rematerializes uh, throughout the universe, but one of the places he rematerializes in is is his old estate where his wife is currently still residing, and he does it every fifty nine days or something like that, or fifty seven days, seven. something like that. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's just for like a certain amount of time. It's like not very long. It's not like ten minutes or something. I don't remember. Um, and it's him and his dog and. His, so that's kind of like where the story sort of starts is that this rematerialization is not really welcome to the public. Like his wife is kind of like ashamed of it, embarrassed by it. So like she doesn't let anyone into their estate. But um, Winston specifically asked for this man called Malachi Constant to come and meet him during one of his materializations. So that's kind of how we meet both of or all three of these characters is this, like, setup right here of, like, Winston talking to Malachi and Beatrice, I mean, she lived there, so her being there. And essentially he told um, Malachi, Winston told Malachi, like, what his future held, that he was going to go to Mars, invade the Earth, and then end up marrying his wife, having a child. Well, not, well, like, being with his wife, having a child, and his wife meaning Winston's wife, and then ending up on Titan where they would meet him again in the future. Um, and she was kind of like, yeah, right. That's never going to happen. We, the presence of this person was so powerful that he ended up kind of like going crazy a little bit. And he like sold a lot of things accidentally because he was like so drunk that he had like this lengthy party for months and months and months and basically became broke. And then, um, the second phase sees our characters on Mars and prepared to wage war on earth. And we're not really sure, like, what the purpose of this war is because the people, there's not that many people on Mars. They're actually all from mm-hmm. Earth and have been um, taken to Mars and trained on Mars to attack Earth. And they, they, like, essentially become these robots who have antenna in them and they can't really do much um, on the, of their own volition. And we find Malachi now is called Unk. And he doesn't really know much about himself and he keeps, like, having to get his memory wiped. Um, and then, like, they go in and attack Earth, and then everyone, um, they all get beaten easily because Earth has nuclear <laughs> warships and missiles and stuff that Mars has, does not have. Like, they have, I think, like, their weapons were, like, um, 
guns from the 1800s or something crazy or something. It was like really bad. And Winston's behind all this. So he's behind this whole war thing. And you're kind of like thinking to yourself, like, why? Um, at this point, like, why is he doing this? Like, why is Winston set up like this horrible, like, thing that didn't work with Mars attacking Earth and it was a horrible failure? And then post that, Winston <laughs> devises a um, new religion that is like essentially um, the Church of God, the um, indifferent. Utterly indifferent. Yeah. The, of the utterly <laughs> indifferent. And during this phase, we see Unk, who was supposed to go to Earth to attack. His spaceship, however, had other plans, mainly because of Winston Niles Romerford, and it sent him to Mercury. So he's on Mercury during this whole, like, post-war era where, like, this religious group is kind of taking over the Earth. And eventually he gets out of Mercury, gets back to Earth, and then um, realizes that uh, everyone eventually hates him because, like, this church message has been told for for everyone to hate him and for like, like several years. Um, for several years, yeah. And so him and his mate Beatrice and their son Chrono are all sent then to Titan. And on Titan, we kind of find out why finally, like Winston, has been doing all these things, and um, and also. Uh, what the end game is essentially why all these things have happened with the religion and the invasion and all these things and what the whole point of it was. And it's kind of mind blowing actually, like what the whole point of that was. Um, and we'll talk about, I'm sure like we'll talk about the end in detail. So I'll leave that out, but that's <laughs> kind of like the, the, those are the main phases of, in a nutshell of this book. So hopefully well, that makes sense. Try to leave us on a cliffhanger. <laughs> hey, I mean, the, I thought the ending was, like, the coolest part, so mm -hmm. that's why I'm leaving it as a yeah. cliffhanger. All right, so, so where do we just first? <laughs> what was your guys' like, overall impression of the book? Like, what did you feel when you finished it? What did I feel? What did you feel? I felt a lot of things, Susie. So did I. I felt a lot of things <laughs> throughout the whole book. Like, I thought it was really interesting and a very intriguing book because the whole time you were like, where is this going? Like, mm -hmm. what is happening? And there are a bunch of themes, um, like mm -hmm. the purpose of life or free will or this organized religion or how, like, he uses people and how Winston himself is used and are they being used? Like, all of these things going on um, <laughs> that I thought were very, like, compelling I think before we get into any, like, serious conversation, we need to talk about determinism first, because that was kind of the major theme. Like, if there was one to stand out, mm -hmm. it would have been determinism. Yeah. Um, it, part of me thinks it's awesome that we read this right after we read Notes from Underground, because we just talked about existentialism, and this book, like, has all the trademarks of an existential novel, where it's trying to explore what what the meaning of life is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so determinism, um, and this is a definition I found on the interwebs, it says, the doctrine that all events, including human action, are ultimately determined by causes external to the will. So this book definitely, as we talked about, like Winston, Niles, Rumford, was kind of in control of this whole thing, this whole time. And does somebody want to get into the ending? 
Because there's, like, another... There's layers of it. <laughs> so, what's and so interesting about the ending is that you realize that, like, you know, you thought Winston was in control. Like, Winston had this fate or destiny or whatever to go into the chrono dot 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 and you know he uh he is you know controlling things on earth he's controlling things on mars he's taking people from earth he's waging war he he knows the future he knows the path past like he's in the know um and then when you get to titan at the last part you realize that there's this whole other like creature who's actually a machine his name's sato right it's like Salo. Yeah, Salo. Um, and Salo is this incredible machine, and they live in like, what was it? It's like some, not microscopic, like some some place really far away in space, where these mm-hmm. this colony of machines, and you find out that this whole part for like millennia, you know, years and years and years and years and years and years. They're just trying to get this replacement part to Salo, and they Uh influence Earth, Earth's history, humans, the reason they're doing things is just to get this replacement part, but the whole Mm -hmm. time, like, you know, humans felt like they were in control, like, they were, Mm -hmm. like, they talk about how, you know, one of the messages to Salo was like, don't worry, we're almost there, um, we're landmarks throughout earth by the way it's called Tralfamador. yeah Tralfamador. that's it is the place where Salo is from yep and there you know like (laughs) all of these yeah great things that humans did on earth were really just the Tralfamadors influencing humans to send messages to Salo Oh, it was so the you realize that like they were in control of Winston too. Yeah. So when Winston came, he brought that part with him. Yep. So or Chrono brought Rumford it. Rumford thought that he was in charge of Const or or Malachi. Malachi yeah. brought the part. So Winston thought he was in control of everything, like on Earth, in trying to get Malachi to Titan. But in reality, the Tralfamadorians yeah. <laughs> were in charge of basically all of like earth earthly history which is hilarious to me mm-hmm. i mean it was so funny because so the whole thing was like he was supposed to send this message to the other as far as way like across the universe and like he crashes on titan the moon one of the moons of saturn and uh he can see the solo guy can see all the way to earth right and sees like history progressing and he finds these messages like Susie said and these messages messages aren't just like you know like written in a cornfield or something. It's like, it's like it's our like monuments Stonehenge. are these yeah are these messages like the Great Wall of China, Stonehenge, like and they all mean a specific message in their language. And it was just so funny. It was like yeah. oh my gosh, I felt like through this whole entire book, leading up to this one part, I was like I don't really know where this is going. Like I wasn't really sure how it was going to end, and like what was going to be the point. And then, like, when they, like, said that, I was like, oh, and it, like, all clicked. And I was like, it all makes mm-hmm. sense. It all makes perfect yeah. sense now. Like, that was the whole point of that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so <laughs> significant that all of those messages were in man-made monuments. So, like, it just further drives that point across of, like, you're not really in control of what you're doing. <laughs> 
No, but it's like we think that they we have these uh, huge like human accomplishments, and then it just all comes like crashing down when you're like, oh, we were, they were, you know, the yeah determinism. And it's like you're you're not in control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just funny because it was, I mean, the whole it seemed like the, he was saying the whole point of human history up until now has solely been to get this one part to Sola so he could finish his voyage and deliver this message. Everything has been, everything, mm-hmm. like, in human history has been leading up to this, which is kind of, like, crazy to think about, like, that they went to that means just to deliver this one part for a message that doesn't really seem significant once we find out later what the message is. It was just kind of funny. Yeah, um, it's, it really shows us, or I guess the point of it is to show us just how insignificant we really are. And it makes you wonder, like, how many levels are there? Like, maybe there's another level where um, somebody's controlling the trough. Trough, megador. Yeah. <laughs> the machines. So it just, it leaves a lot up in the air by introducing these two different levels. Mm-hmm. Of power. Yeah, Trolf, Trolf, Isn't it like, isn't there an M in there? Trolfomadors? Yeah, Trolfomadors. Trolfomadorians? Yeah, Trolfomador. Trolfomadorians. Okay. (laughs) Those guys. (laughs) Even their existence was kind of funny because they talked about, also, this cracked me up, this author, I mean, he weaves like these wicked plots that, I mean, he goes into detail about stuff. I mean, he will literally stop mid-plot and tell you something that he thinks is significant about something that you're like, wait, why was this important? Like, why was this one detail important for me to know? Like, why did you have to stop this story progress in order to just tell me this one detail and then go back to it? It was like he had all these tangents. But that was one of the things that he had his tangent about the Trofamadorians and how they were all these robots, right? But, the, like, they didn't even know how they became, they came to exist. They had this legend where these beings wanted to um, have a, like, serve their purpose, and they found that their purpose was too lowly, and so they told the, tr- they made the Trollflamadorians, so they made these robots to serve it for those, for them, to serve these lower purposes for them so that they could serve higher purposes. But then they found that the higher purposes weren't high enough for them, and so they built more to serve those purposes and then like it was just like this never-ending thing until boom here you're like planet of robots at this point that's how they presume that they became a thing because like now they just make more of each other by like physically manufacturing them because they're robots so mm-hmm. it's just kind of interesting that he even like went into them mm-hmm. yeah it kind of felt like he was having some kind of like mental breakdown like, writing this book and trying to answer all the questions, because there were just so many, like, like, as you said, like, little tangents that kind of explored ideas related to, like, the big idea of determinism that we've been talking about, so it just felt like he was trying to answer questions for himself. Yeah. Yeah, and just, like, exploring the rabbit hole, trying to go down. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What did you guys think of the tone like did it remind you of anything that's probably kind of a loaded question but I just want to see if you thought the same thing I did it kind of reminded me of Hitchhikers in the sense that it was like 
Yeah. Uh, it just kind of seemed too. like there really wasn't a purpose at all, essentially. And that, like, I don't know, that's just kind of what I got. It was, like, yeah. everything, he just kind of made fun of a lot of things on Earth. Mm-hmm. Like, religion, for example, he, he took a lot of shots at religion. Yeah. The whole oh, yeah. time. So, like, that, that to me was very similar to Hitchhiker's. Um, mm-hmm. They were kind of like, oh, everyone, like, doesn't believe in that. And, like, if they do, like, look at how much of a look bunch of idiots stupid. they are. Like, <laughs> what idiot. You know yeah. what I mean? So, I definitely mm-hmm. got that vibe, for sure. Yeah. And even the style of writing, I thought, reminded me of Hitchhiker's. Just because of how the humor was sewn into it, I guess. And how... He took these little tangents, and even, like, he referenced books that were written, like, f- from, like, the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, at the beginning yeah. of the chapters, there were quotes, and Hitchhikers yeah. did that, and yeah. just lots of little things. And I did read on Wikipedia that um, Douglas Adams was inspired by Kurt Vonnegut's writing. So I read that, too. It made a lot of yeah. sense. <laughs> I read that on... Uh... Uh, like an article in like Indiana Wesleyan or something and I had thought that it mm-hmm. reminded me of Hitchhikers before then and I was like oh duh like yes yeah um confirm my suspicions one kind of tangent that I thought was interesting was the stuff having to do around like Beatrice like when she was mm-hmm. on Mars and how she wrote poems um I thought that was really interesting how they're like yeah like the only two people like she was the only person that wrote a poem ever on Mars and he was the only one to really, like, fight very hard. Him and his friend, who he killed, actually, to, like, fight the antenna and fight And the... he, like, had his own personal philosophy. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I thought it was really interest- uh, cool that he um, wrote himself the letter and kept hiding the letter about the things that he knew were true. Because um, mm-hmm. when they were taken to Mars, uh, his mind was wiped and only left with, like, the most rudimentary of knowledge. And then uh, they had this antenna in their head that would shock them, kind of like a dog collar. If you were thinking (laughs) bad things, if you were thinking independent things or questioning what was going on. Um, Yeah, so the whole Mars scenario was uh, stuff I never had thought about before. (laughs) Never had the imagination. Um, And he, like, yeah, weaved this story. a lot about, like, yeah, like, what is free will? Because all of these people had it taken away from them. But at the same time, they also fought against it and, like, were themselves mm-hmm. still. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like there's two different ways you can react to kind of this understanding that your life has no purpose and it's out of your control. So you can either try to fight against that and create purpose, mm-hmm. or you can just submit to whatever the causes of being our right um i have a question is there like a part of the book that just like made you really like kind of sad there was like one part that sticks out to me that like i kept reflecting on and be like man that's like a shame that's like really sad to me (laughs) what part so specifically for me i it just made me so sad that pretty much like majority of the book mars onward mainly he didn't realize, um, sorry, Malachi Constant or Unk, as he was known on Mars, didn't realize that he killed his best friend. Mm. And he was like, so after Mars, you know, he's in Mercury, he's just thinking, like, all he wants to do is get back to his wife, his not, they weren't really married, but his mate, his kid, and um, his best friend, Stoney. 
and he didn't realize that the person he was stranded in Mercury with had actually forced him, like, via his antenna to mm-hmm. kill his best friend. Mm-hmm. And he didn't bother telling him, and, like, he didn't find out until he was shipped off to Titan that this whole time, like, he'd killed his friend. And it just made me so sad um, that he was just, like, living in this blind, I don't know, reality where he thought he was going to be able to reunite with his best friend one day. Um, and that was never going to happen. I thought a lot of the book was, yeah, maybe, a lot of it made me sad, no, uh, when you, it wasn't a very happy yeah, book, <laughs> like, when you realize that all of these people were either lured or under false, uh, reasons or just taken from Earth to Mars, like, essentially, like, kidnapped and then, like, their brains wiped and mm-hmm. having to, like, live in this environment and being controlled, that just made me sad. <laughs> and how, it's interesting, mm-hmm. too, that the commanders themselves didn't know, uh, what was going on either. Like, they mm-hmm. said that it was just, like, rumors or, like, word of mouth what the battle plan was, what why they mm-hmm. were there. Like, no one knew anything. <laughs> yeah, I think the saddest part for me was Boaz on Mercury. So Boaz is one of the commanders that Susie was just talking about. Mm. So they were kind of implanted into the different troops that were training on Mars and they had control over the antennas so they were they were the ones who shocked the people to do the things that they were supposed to do (laughs) um so Boaz had kind of taken this special interest in Malachi and he had decided that they're going to be best friends on earth when they go and take over earth obviously because that was going to happen um so when they ended up on Mercury Mercury he developed this relationship with these, what were they called? Harmoniums. Harmoniums. Harmoniums, yeah. So they were native Mercury inhabitants, <laughs> and they stuck to the walls of the caves that they were in, and they absorbed sound and music. Um, so Boaz decided that it was going to be his job to provide them with music, or even like he would let them attach to himself and feed off of his pulse. So he was kind of the king and caretaker of these creatures. And when Malachi found the way to get back to Earth, he tried to get Boaz to go with him, which was kind of a, a weird conversation anyway. But Boaz just couldn't pull himself away from being... Being... Needed. Yeah, needed and being, like, the manipulator rather than... The manipulated. The manipulated. Yeah. The yeah. manipulatee. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> but yeah. So it was just, it was sad, but it was, it was also kind of weird. There are lots of like, there are strange moments in this book. Oh yeah. And that was one of them. There are mm-hmm. a lot of strange mm-hmm. moments. Like the whole, the whole religious aspect cult. of it. <laughs> the cult. Yeah. Uh, the huge cult. Um. Did any of you guys, um, like, kind of equate the whole, and I guess why Annie said, like, his, you know, his ex-wife, how she became a Christian, like, that kind of makes sense, Mm -hmm. but, like, Mm -hmm. the whole how in this religion they had to have these weights bound to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, like, and to me it was kind of funny because I felt like it was, well, I don't know if paradoxical is the right word, but, like, it was, like. It kind of felt like a parody of the Bible. Yeah. 
it, like a parody of like the fact that we, in the Bible, you know, like we talk about our chains being free and like us being freed of our burdens and that we don't have to carry around this like weight of guilt and shame and all this kind of stuff. Whereas like these people are happily taking it on and like they mm-hmm. are happier that way um, with like actual physical burdens. And I think that's how a lot of people see Christianity, too. They don't see it as a freeing thing. They see it as a bunch of rules and a bunch of things that weigh you down in life. Yeah. So I think that was visualizing that idea. Yeah. I, th- I thought that, too. Or it's, like, it's interesting how he viewed Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, how... He- because the cult is definitely modeled off of some kind of version of... Yeah. I mean, Christian. I mean, even when he was like using the Bible at the beginning, uh, Malachi Constant's mm-hmm. dad, to build his fortune. Um, yeah, you. That was the first sign, and literally, like, where is this going? Like, with his mm-hmm. view of religion, um, I didn't actually know that his wife, ex-wife, became a Christian, and he was like a hardcore atheist, and that, yeah, kind of, yeah, seems to be woven into the book, like his view of Christianity and like how. He, it seems like he thinks it's very silly. Yeah. And even, there's so much biblical imagery mm-hmm. in this book, just in little things, even Malachi's name. Yep. And the fact that he, like his, it was so random, but his main dream in life was that he wanted to be a messenger. He wanted to have something important to say from God to everybody. Yeah. He wanted to be a prophet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just, there's just so many things in this yeah. book. So many. Um, okay, I have a question. What do you think the moral of the story is? Oh, God. Annie. Is, <laughs> there even, is there even a moral, though? I don't even know. I, I mean, I can think of something. Uh, okay, so I have a quote. My, my official answer is, uh, what? But something that stuck out a little bit is that um, the part where they're like, the purpose is to love those who are around you. And how you can even think of, like, Boaz loving the harmoniums and how they made him feel and them being needed. And uh, Unk, you know, really seeking out his friend. And even though, like, he didn't know his mate, like, when they went to Titan and were kind of stranded together, like, they became a family unit and they, like, loved each other. And how he loved his son. Um, I guess that's one of the morals. Yeah, just loving those who are around you but my official answer is uh what (laughs) i mean that's fear i feel like (laughs) i feel like the most like i think the majority of the book kind of pointed to life there is not like really a meaning to life so you have to make your own meaning because like the majority of the book was about people controlling each other and it i don't know kind of making fun of that like how I don't know. I just didn't feel like there was much of a... Besides the love thing that you just talked about, which, like, was at the very end. Yeah. felt like the majority of the book was, like... Pretty hopeless. Yeah, it was, yeah. like, very bleak and very, like, there isn't really a purpose, and you kind of have to try to find your own. Because you even, want. like, I mean, every single person right. who had a purpose on this, in this book, the purpose ended up every single time being horrible and being bleak, and, like, that was... What was the point of that? I mean, because you look at, like, Winston, his purpose was to be used by these people who, like, discarded him quickly afterward and didn't really care about him. I mean, he didn't actually officially die, but he was no longer, 
he would never be himself again. Like, he would never be able to just be a human being, like, live and die at, like, a ripe old age. Like, that was never going to happen for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was trapped, essentially, and mm-hmm. used at the whim of these people. And then even, like, Sola, the messenger, like, his purpose was to send this message. And the message literally said, greetings. And that was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, He'd been stranded I don't know. there for so, so yeah. long. And that also reminded me of Hitchhiker's <laughs> greetings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hello. So it, it just yeah. kind of, to me, that's kind of like what I felt afterwards is him just saying like, there isn't a purpose. So like, yeah. you have to make your own because like, look, look how well these people ended up who had like a specific purpose that they thought was what their goal, like mission was to do. And like, it didn't really work out. I don't know. Yeah. And I think adding on to your thought, like you can make your own purpose or maybe, maybe the Martians or they're not really Martians, the earthlings on Mars had a better situation because they didn't know they were brainwashed because if you look at Beatrice she was a lot happier on Mars than she was on Earth so yeah, there's also was. that side of it um happy with the not but, knowing see but I right. don't I don't I don't know that about that though because pointing back to what Susie said I feel like he's hinting at also though the love thing underneath like I still think like the whole like yeah purpose is me but if you think about like they landed so when her ship came from mars to earth in the invasion they landed in like the african jungle and or something like that and had to like survive together like and only her and her son were the only survivors from the ship they had to survive Mm -hmm. and like um become part of this tribe and like her eye like was sacrificed at some point all this stuff and like they grew to like have this deep bond and love and like they were like this like huge they were this team Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny because I almost feel like, I don't know if Kurt had children at all, but, like, he, he pointed, what? Five, six, okay. I think. He pointed out that once they were on Titan that um, Beatrice and Chrono, like, the son and mom, had a better relationship and, like, were, like, a well-oiled machine more than um, Malachi and Beatrice could ever really be. Mm. Um, That's true. Which is, like, interesting because, like, if you think about his wife and him, like, not saying that this is a parallel to them necessarily, but, like, they probably weren't, like, a well-oiled team because they had such different beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, like, that stood out to me that he, which was funny because Chrono ended up doing something completely weird at the end, but, like. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. He becomes a bird person. Yeah, he basically like, lives he's a with happy birds. bird person. Yeah, happy yeah. bird. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, I mean. That, that's something that did stick out to me is like him specifically showing that like that love um did surpass a lot of things and like it didn't matter what their circumstance was because at the end of the day they had each other's back but I still mm-hmm. felt like the whole idea behind the book was like that like there isn't really a purpose of life yeah I wanted to talk about like what Susie was saying and what we're sort of talking about now so the quote that she's talking about it says A purpose of human life, no matter who is controlling it, is to love whoever is around to be loved. And I don't know, because we do see that between Beatrice and Chrono. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, (laughs) it's not talked about elsewhere in the book. Well, it is talked about one other place. Oh, where? Just at the, it's like the very end of the book. And it's literally just like Solo and... Malachi are talking it's after Beatrice has died and he's like 
mourning her loss and he, he's having this frank conversation with Salo and he's like, you know, like Salo's like, oh, when did you um, know? And he's like, I knew like this past earthling year um, that I loved mm-hmm. her. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, but it was too late at that point because like they never really had like this lovey-dovey relationship where like a proper husband and wife would. It was basically like he would come and, you know, like be, give her comfort when she wanted it, meaning like be there, not necessarily in terms of like anything sensual or anything like that but just like being being there and being present and also like cleaning up after her because she just didn't do anything yeah she just gave up and she like wrote a book which was kind of like what she made her purpose to be at the end was to like finish this book of like her thoughts about how she didn't really truly think that the trafa trafam yeah trafamadors how they they weren't actually controlling everything and how humans actually did have their own will and all this kind of stuff. She was like really hunkering down and trying to finish this book um, about that and kind of refuting everything that um, her her late husband, uh, what's his face, Winston, had written in his like religious stuff. So um, that was the only other time I can think of that they really specifically yeah. talked about love. And which um, was all it was all in the end. Yeah. yeah. And I think the thing that bothers me about this is it's after they crash on the moon, or tighten the moon, wherever they are. Um, And so there's only, like, three people around. So I don't know if they would have necessarily said the the same thing if they were on a more populated planet. Yeah. And I think, like, I don't know. Like, and that's just speculative, and we're not going to know the answer to that. But it just seems... It almost just seems like a joke to me. Like, oh, we can just love each other. Yeah. And there's only two other people. Yeah. So it's not really, like, yes, they had a hard life, so it's a little bit more difficult. But it's not, like, that much work. <laughs> yeah. I have to wonder also, not that this is necessarily a thing because it was published in 59, but, like, mm-hmm. when did the whole, like, peace and love movement kind of become hit? huge I know like it was huge in the 70s but like was it only in the 70s or was it also in like the 60s because I think the 60s started this sexual revolution right and that's kind of yeah. because I was thinking like if he's referring to that it would make sense just kind of like I don't think he is though I mean I don't know if he is but that's what I was wondering if it was like at all in that time period because it was 59 so it's close it was close because I was like, he well, could be just, like, making fun of his own culture, but it's, like, hard to know because we weren't there. I mean, a lot of times you'll hear people who aren't Christians trying to, like, grasp anything, something that's important. It's the purpose being the relationships mm-hmm. between other people without mm-hmm. having the, like, yeah. higher spiritual um, ties that gather people together. Just being, like, the, you know, humanity. Like, we're here for each other. We love each other. Like... Where the tangible right. Which things isn't a people bad see. Thing. It's not a bad thing. Right. It's not a bad thing at all because, you know, we're, we're called to love each other. It's literally like the part two of the greatest commandment. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, and, it's just interesting how I mean, like, that and becomes it, their purpose. Like That could have also just been making fun of Christianity too because that is like a big proponent of Christianity is like loving one another mm-hmm. because like Christ, commi- like Christ wants us to do that. Like that's who Christ is, is love. So, I mean, like it's hard to know why he wrote that as like a purpose or not like if he either was like as a joke or if he was actually intentionally mm-hmm. meaning that I feel like it's hard to know but I feel like it could really ultimately be either yeah I mean I think it makes sense though because when you are stripped of all purpose 
that's kind of all you have left is just the people around you. Yeah. So, any way he meant it, I think it's it makes sense. It just seemed a very sudden concept to me. But now that you're mentioning B and Chrono on when they landed on Earth, that that period, that that makes more sense to me. What do you okay. guys uh, think about that? quote that was like I was a victim of a series of accidents as we all are when he comes out of the spaceship and they're like oh he said it well I, I to me I only thought of that as just like more of just the bastardization of Christianity in my opinion yeah I just like that was more along that so I was kind of like yep that's just another <laughs> nail yeah, in the I coffin took that. I I just saw that as more representation rep, representation of determinism. That's what I was thinking too. Just, we're yeah. still not in control. <laughs> it, was just, it was everywhere. It was. <laughs> yup. It was so interesting. And also something that I thought was this, I feel like this talks like speaks to what he thought the author thought of religions and like Christianity was just even when, you know, he was talking about after Mars, how, uh, Romerford was coming up with his new um, religion, I guess you could say, and, and he was like, the, the reason people are going to buy this religion and adopt it is because I can see the future so I can give them quote-unquote prophecies, and they will mm -hmm. come true because I know it's going to come true because I can see the yeah. future. Mm -hmm. And so I can do quote-unquote miracles that no other religion can. can I like thought that was like an interesting... Yeah thing idea i suppose mm -hmm. um i don't know what did you guys think of that um so at the end it talks about how you know everyone's just kind of manipulating everybody else or is being manipulated by everybody else so i mean there you go yeah <laughs> so just everything even like the major world religions are just a manipulation mm-hmm which falls in line with his, like, atheistic uh, mm -hmm. philosophy. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember in AP English, our teacher talking about how there's, like, two different ways to read literature. There's some people who think that you should just read literature and look at that one work and not equate it to other things or the author's life or other works by them or... Um, Anything outside of that work you're not supposed to look at. And then there's the other viewpoint, which, like, most people actually do, which is, like, looking at the author's life, looking at their influences, like, what influenced them and what was in the work was influenced by. Think about that when we're, like, looking at doing our podcast. Because I was like, look at us, looking at the whole picture. <laughs> I do think the first method, though, like, a book should be able to stand on its own, and you should be able to get out of the book what the author is trying to say, or you should be able to get, you should be able to understand a book without doing any outside research. So I think, I think there needs to be some of both. Well, I think it's always interesting to look up the author's life or mm -hmm. uh, facts about them, because more often than not, you can almost always see them tying into their writing because it makes sense like mm -hmm. what you were influenced by in your life experiences mm -hmm. um, impact how you think yeah but yeah I, mean, I do also oh, think cool. that it needs to be able to like be fully understandable in it by in itself. and of itself I feel like I'm glad that Annie told us what she did about 
his background and his wife mm -hmm. and stuff because even though I, I felt like in the book I knew the what. Like I knew why, I knew he was saying determinism stuff and like there's no purpose, etc. So I knew the what, but I didn't know the why. I didn't know why he was writing that and why like he felt so strongly about that in this book. And, right, or where and, he was yeah, coming from. Yeah, exactly. It was clearly, like, what he told us was what he believed, but, yeah, exactly, I didn't know why. And so, to me, I feel like it's very important to be able to understand the context behind that person and, like, why they feel that way in order mm -hmm. to better evaluate the book, in my opinion, because now I feel like it just mm -hmm. makes more sense. Yeah. Because, I mean, not that the book didn't make sense on its own, but knowing now that he had that strong tie to Christianity and his wife... It perfectly makes sense that that's, like, why he's making religion into a parody in this book. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that his wife did turn to Christianity, I think, after this book was written. Hmm. So, I mean, it still goes to show how much he hated Christianity yeah. <laughs> and religion in general. So, there's that. But I do think that having that understanding gives you a more, a more robust mm -hmm. way of reading the book. Okay, before we finish, before we finish though, I do want to point out because we haven't really talked about this at all. The name of the book, The Sirens of Titan. Back in uh, the first phase of the book, when I was talking to you about how he had that, Winston had that first conversation with Malachi about his future. Um, one of the things he was telling him about, like, it's like, oh, you and I are going to be on Titan eventually, and he was like, no, we're not. Um, he's like, well, there's there's like a big house and like lots of wealth that you could own. He's like, I already have that. He's like, well, there's beautiful women. He's like, and then, like, he pulls out his wallet, Malachi, and he's like, oh, look at those beautiful women, like, I have, and you can't tell me that you're going to have anyone prettier than that, and, and, um. Check out these hot babes. <laughs> <laughs> like, who does that? Winston pulls out, um, his own picture, and it's of these, like, beautiful, gorgeous, like, one is gold, one is black, and one is white, I think, mm -hmm. women, um, and they're just beautiful, and, you know, Malachi doesn't want to admit it, but, like, they're the most gorgeous women that he's ever seen. Um, and then, like, that kind of becomes, like, a recurring image because he actually ends up making that into a tobacco company uh, logo later on called Moon Mist um, because he kept the picture. But, like, again, he was, like, rejecting that and wanting to try to, like, do whatever he can to not end up going to Titan. But, I mean, he still obviously mm -hmm. ended up there anyway. Once we get to Titan, though, he goes to essentially a recreation of the Taj Mahal, which is where Winston lives, and the Titan, the sirens, so the, the three girls that he was originally shown to try to entice him to come to Titan, are just, like, statues in this pool. That's, like, all they are mm -hmm. that Salo had created because, like, he was really good at uh, making statues. So I thought that was, like, really funny. I was like, how is this name going to, like, tie in? Like, how is this going to connect and it made sense like when you think about it he was shown this image at the very beginning of the book and then it came back into prominence at the very end mm -hmm. so it was kind of like tied a little bit nicely in the end yeah. so and it also ties into the concept of like manipulation and nothing mm -hmm. is what it really seems like these aren't even real mm -hmm. women or people yeah they're, they weren't even real <laughs> at the bottom so. of the pool yeah yeah all right so now we can talk about additions i just wanted to talk yeah. about that before we done that because I thought the name was interesting it's like yeah that was a good good call so um I can start since my book's here next to me I actually got my copy from the library 
and it is a 2009 Dial Press Trade Paperback Edition. So, yep, there you go. My version is the same as Shannon's, but I also got it from the library, but I read it on my iPad. So, Libby.com, Overdrive. Libby's great. I used Overdrive for mine, so it was the same edition. I think it's, I think it just says, like, ebook edition. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I have to look up the exact, or the exact edition, but that was mine. Yep. Um... So now on to the, the rating. <laughs> right, I haven't you. had much time to... No, I should go last. I haven't had much time to think about what I want to rate this. So you're going to digest it yeah. as we go. <laughs> Annie, what did you give it? I gave it three stars. Um, I did enjoy it. I thought it was a really good story. And he is very good at creating a universe. <laughs> okay, so the tone of it, while it was... I want to say reminiscent, but it's the other way around. Of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy... I feel like since the subject matter was so bleak, it didn't seem to fit as well as it did with Hitchhikers, um, which is like weird because Vonnegut's book came first. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel a little bit like blasphemous saying that, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> and also, I felt like the whole concept of determinism and his hatred of Christianity was just kind of jammed down your throat. Mm-hmm. And since he he basically created his own cult to point out flaws in Christianity, I feel like that's kind of not fair. Like, that's the definition of a straw man right there. <laughs> so. Definition of a strong what? A straw man. Like, where you kind of create your own enemy to be straw able man. to just blow it away with your arguments. It was like he mm-hmm. was trying to teach us something through a story instead of, letting the story do the talking so that's that was my major qualm with it but it was still very enjoyable and i would really like to read slaughterhouse five because it has to do with war and his time in dresden yeah i thought that was cool i gave it three stars as well um i yeah same i really liked it i had some issues with it um yeah i didn't particularly enjoy making fun of Christianity either in a very, (laughs) yeah, like, just down your throat kind of way. Um, I, it did make me, though, want to read other books by him. Like, I hadn't thought of a specific one or really even done the research yet of what else he had written. Um, but, like, I think his literature has merit. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's thought-provoking. And, you know, it's kind of, like, fuel for the mind just to understand existentialism or determinism um and how other people think about things and yeah just a really interesting uh narrative on how yeah like you know christian christians think that their purpose is to serve god and how some people view that as manipulation um which it was interesting and kurt vonnegut is so well revered in exactly science fiction exactly genre as well so he's definitely worth reading Mm -hmm. i would say yep i think so too um I liked it, and I, I thought it was just very thoughtful. Right. So, I like, so when I first started this book, I think I went into it thinking that I was probably going to end up giving it a four star, but I feel like as I started getting into the book and just, like, getting into the more of, like, yeah, like, you guys kind of already 
it said all, but like the um, kind of like bashing of Christianity. I was like, okay, like this is like a little <laughs> uncomfortable to points where I, just I I'm just kind of like, okay, like you're just kind of making fun of me, and it's kind of funny because I I sort of I sort of like wonder in today's sort of like tolerant society if that book like if if this was to be published today how it would be received because like if so if it you know what I mean because like now it's I'm probably getting off into a tangent but I feel like the only reason like I have thoughts on that too that it was like so oh it was okay it was because of the time period it was published in because it's like I mean it's it's pretty much just bashing religion in general it is like taking Christianity to like more of an extent than other religions, but it's still pretty much like bashing religion. Um, and so I kind of, I, I was kind of curious, like if that was to be published today, if that would really be well received or not. But, um, so that's kind of like one thing that was like, you're to it me. Would be. You think it would be? I think, I think it would be too, because of the double standard. If the thing hadn't, if it had been less about Christianity and more about like, Maybe, like, religion in general, I'm not sure, but, like, because it was Christianity, I feel like you guys will talk about it, but that kind of changes things a little bit, but, and then also just, like, the bleakness, oh, man, it was, like, a struggle for me to get to, not because it wasn't well-written, like, it was very well-written, and, like, it was an enjoyable read, um, and I definitely want to read more of his books, I really want to read Cat's Cradle, which is one of my friend's favorites, um, by him and she actually hadn't even read this one so but yeah I definitely think I'm probably going to give it a three star just because of like it was hard to get through because like I had to I had to keep putting it down because it's a hard book to just like straight through read because of the heaviness of the topics and everything and I kept like wanting to pick up you know my more light-hearted like dragonfly and amber outlander type book I was like I just want to like read something that's happy (laughs) so I had like it was definitely like a struggle at the end to like really hunker down and finish it because I it was a book I wanted to keep putting down to like give myself almost like some time to recoup from like the stuff I just read so that's why I think I'm gonna give it three but he's an excellent author and seriously like please read his books because like he definitely, I mean, we had a great conversation about it. I feel like his books garner conversation and they're definitely well-written and, like, I understand now why people enjoy him as an author. So, um, but yeah, that's just me. Okay, here are my thoughts. (laughs) So, I was honestly, as I was reading it and I was reading how he was portraying religion, it reminded me a lot of The Handmaid's Tale because... In both of those books, they set up Christianity in this very, like, unrealistic, very wrong, (laughs) wrong sense of what Orthodox Christianity is. And they basically, like, create their own version of Christianity just so they can talk bad about it. So, and we know how popular Handmaid's Tale is today. Like, there's a TV show. Everyone loves it. It's a, it's a fun, like, dystopian read. Um, so, I think that people would still like this book if it was published today, because I don't know if it's because they can separate the falseness of the Christianity that's presented in it, or because they embrace having an enemy. So, I don't know. But th- those are my thoughts. It's not that much, but I wanted to share them. <laughs> 
I think there's also in literature, just in the art culture, kind of been a double standard with Christianity mm-hmm. specifically. Um, with like, you know, well, you can't bash other religions. You know, everyone has tolerance. Be tolerant of everyone. Coexist. All that stuff. But like, but Christianity specifically, we can talk about that. Like, we can talk about what they do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I right. think it would be well received today too. And I think I think there is a a good way to critique Christianity in literature, but mm-hmm. it's not it's not what we read yeah. in this book. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> because I'm welcome to reading things that are critical of my way of thinking, mm-hmm. but it has to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> and this is not fair. And it's it's also like beneficial to read things that are critical of Christianity just to mm-hmm. um, be more educated. Yeah. Agree. And it also gives you, you know, more, like, fuel to Mm -hmm. curate your own thoughts. Exactly. Yeah. I liked it. Good book, Shannon. Good job, Shannon. Thank you. I'm glad we read it, even though, like, it wasn't, you know, not all of stories need to be, like, happy-go-lucky or anything. And it was, in some sense. Like, it was very funny. (laughs) It was, yeah. Yeah. It was, it did have a lot of humor. Okay, I, I was going to say, um, Annie, I totally agree about, like, the Hitchhikers. Like, the reason that I feel like the reason I liked Hitchhikers specifically better was because even though there was kind of, like, a bleakness to the fact that, like, you know, like, he was saying, like, there wasn't really a purpose, mm-hmm. it was hilarious. Like, it wasn't really meant to be taken seriously, whereas, like, I feel like this book was meant to be taken mm-hmm. seriously to an extent. And so, like, the, even though there was humor, like, the humor wasn't as, like, ingrained... Like, I feel like Hitchhikers was humor. Like, it is, like, that's what it's known as, is, like, a comedy um, that happens to be sci-fi, whereas, like, this is sci-fi that happens to have some comedy in it. You know Even what I mean? Even though they're similar, and he's copying the book we just read. <laughs> so, I, I, like, don't blame you at all for feeling like you liked Hitchhiker's, like, take on that better, even though, like, it's, like you said, it's kind of blasphemous, yeah. but... Um, I'm glad we read both. Right. So, next month, We are reading an author that I very surprisingly have never read before, Um, but Annie and Shannon both have. We are reading Ernest, Ernest, wow, Ernest Hemingway, and we're reading The Old Man and the Sea. I already have my copy. It has a very endearing picture of him on the back, Um, but it was uh, originally published in 1952. And it is a very short book. Um, my copy, I think, was only 90, 93 pages. And it was the last book that he saw published in his lifetime. Um, but I am excited to, you know, dig into the battle I've heard of my whole life with the marlin <laughs> and the fishermen. Yeah. And all of the, sibil- the symbolism that entails. <laughs> yep. And this is a reread. This is a reread for me. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I love having wife. It's new for me, so it'll be, I'm actually really excited to have someone who has read it before, because, like, you know, when we did way back when, like, a year ago, which, by the way, happy birthday. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, We started our podcast about a year ago with Persuasion. Good memories. (laughs) Were you going to say something before we got sidetracked on birthday? Oh. Um... Oh, I just, I was going to say I'm excited that Annie has read this coming book before because I felt like it was very nice to have, last year when we read To Kill a Mockingbird, Susie's input because she'd already read it once before and, like, was reading it for the second time. It was, like, nice to have someone's input who had already read it. Um, 
and to see what it was like to read it for the second time. So I think it'll be really valuable to have Annie's knowledge of Hemingway in this. It was a while ago, so bear with me. <laughs> but still. I know that this uh, podcast is already very long, but do you guys want to talk a little bit about like how your reading habits have changed I would love in to. the past year? Because mine flows very easily into what Shannon was saying, is that um, I love to reread books, almost to my detriment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And kind of like, you know, greeting an old friend or watching a movie that you love. I love feeling the emotions and getting wrapped up in a story that I know I love. Um, And so before we started doing this podcast, I had gotten into the habit of really like looking at the bookshelf of books that I currently own and being like, oh, I love this story, like A Mark of the Lion, or I love this book, I'm going to reread it. Um, And so I like that this podcast has kind of challenged me to like get out of that and get new experiences and make new book friends mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> or you know I'm like just and getting out of like my comfort zone like I think the book farthest out of my comfort zone was notes from the Underground. oh amen um, <laughs> and just um, sorry guys no no I, I think mean, it's, it's a really challenge experience and honestly like I'm so happy that we do this because I mean we've mentioned this before but we none of like Annie lives far away like Shannon's in med school like we all have different things going on in our lives and one of the things that keeps friendships strong is creating new memories. And I love how this accomplishes that and expands my mind. Yeah, I would agree. Happy birthday podcast. <laughs> I would agree. I'd say let's let Annie go last because she's the person who had the idea. Um, so I'll just, I'll make this quick. I would say a lot of things Susie said is very similar to me. I would like to re-listen to books so like I love reading but I would read first and then like if I really liked it I would like re-listen to it on audiobook like several times just because like it was familiar it was comfortable like it was comforting um and I, I liked that about that but I definitely think this year has challenged me to read books that I wouldn't normally pick up off a shelf and to uh, read authors that I would never even like necessarily glance twice at at a bookstore um and I think that's really been good for me also, I feel like this has been the only thing that's, like, kept, helped me keep my sanity, among other things. <laughs> Gotta give some credit to, you know, family, friends, and Jesus, but um, I definitely think this year's been the toughest for me in terms of um, stress, and this, this book club has really helped me, like, be able to still read in a, uh, in some capacity, that's for pleasure and not just for uh, school. And that's been really nice for me because even talking to some of my med school classmates, I'm saying like, I'm like, oh, I'm reading this book currently. And they'll be like, how do you have time for that? Like, I, I don't read anymore. I don't have time for it. And so that just, yeah, it really made me happy that I'm still <laughs> getting to do something that I really love to do um, with my you have friends. Who friends. Make you yeah. Books. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy that like, I'm still getting to gain more knowledge in other areas that, like, and, I don't know, read and be challenged by new things that, like, I wouldn't necessarily be otherwise because of timing and school and just not having that um, time. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so it's funny that you guys talk so much about rereading books because I I don't do that. <laughs> um, I know you don't. I, <laughs> I just went to read all the different books, so it's like, why would I spend time rereading something? So, in a sense, this will be good for me since the next one we're reading is a reread for me, so that'll be new for me. Um, 
But I think for me, my reading life has changed. So this podcast is forcing me to have conversations about books um, in kind of a deeper sense. And it's shown me the value of putting in a little bit of extra research, especially today. Mm -hmm. Like our conversation today was greatly impacted by a little bit of outside um, information. Um, So that has been really helpful and it's helped me explore bigger ideas like determinism and existentialism and all of those things. Um, So it's really helped round out my view of life and having you two since we, I mean I guess we didn't grow up together but we've known each other for a little while. We all have different things that we bring to the table and we all have different things that are different ways we read I guess and different um, methods of pulling information out of books that we share. So our conversations have been really great because both of you always bring up stuff that I never would have thought of. So that's been great. And also, like, my situation is very different from Shannon's where I'm not in med school. (laughs) Um, And I stay home. I, um, so, like, I'm getting ready to have a baby and all of those things. So it's, like, it's good for me to have, I guess it's like a routine, um, Mm -hmm. but a way I have this built-in method for picking out my next book and I have this built-in drive I guess to read something and to understand something and to keep learning things and so I guess that's about it also I've learned a lot about audio editing so (laughs) (laughs) that's been fun (laughs) nice yeah oh and we have a new logo have you seen our new logo no I think I I sent it. it to you a while ago it's really pretty. You will see it when this episode goes up. And I'm going to change our website around a little bit if you've ever visited our website. <laughs> I don't know if people actually do that. Um, but it's not up there yet. But it'll be there when this airs. So, Which I'm sure is self-explanatory for everybody listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. That's all I got. everybody um we will talk to you next month when we're talking about Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts um and you can email us at readingmindspodcast at gmail.com all the things is that it that's it all right bye friends goodbye